Hey everybody, it's Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. It feels like yesterday when we roamed this lost world. A little town amidst a giant city. Quiet, crazy, wild, and sometimes lonely. Never boring, yet at times it was. It was a place where characters roamed and lived bizarre tales. Yet these were not works of mythology, and it's all tattooed on my mind. So sit back, and let me tell you the stories of this ancient city. Let's hang out together on the Stoops of Atlantis. So hello everyone, uh, this is episode 60. Can you believe it? I can't believe I, did, um, I stuck with this for this long. Uh, remember that when I did that first episode, it, it was just sort of a, I don't know, spontaneous thing I wanted to do. It just Something just hit me and I thought it might be a good idea. And I recorded episode one, and immediately my sister Debbie uh, told me she loved it. And that was, that would provided like a real kind of a boost of confidence that maybe I should stick with this. So, uh, and I did, and 60 episodes. Uh, so, and then there are a couple of blooper episodes. So, actually, it's more than 60, but officially, we're up to number 6-0. And this one is a, one of the longer ones uh, in terms of word count. So uh, I hope you enjoy it, and we will be back at the end. Thank you. Enjoy. of little demons back on those stoops of Atlantis. And we were also altar boys. Being an altar boy was kind of like being in a club. Boys your own age, we'd meet once a week to get your mass assignments. You know, you hated getting stuck with a week of 8 o'clock in the morning masses, but you had to share the misery. There was also the evening masses at 7, and you were stuck doing those for a week as well, missing some of your favorite primetime shows. My favorite mass to do was Sunday at 12.30. I mean, I had to go anyway. My dad insisted, so what the heck? We would start out in that sacristy, the room behind the altar where the priest got ready for mass. It was sort of like the backstage area of a theater. In fact, a mass is in many ways a performance. And so this was also the props department. There were a closet full of cans of the unblessed wafers, you know, the hosts. Also loads of candles and incense and extra patents. You know, those are those brass trays on a stick that altar boys use to catch any host that slipped from the worshipper's mouth. And I actually caught one once. <laughs> I felt like I had caught the last out in the World Series. The room across the altar were where the cassocks, you know, the altar boy gowns, were stored. So that was like the wardrobe department. And there were windows that looked out over the yards of 118. And from the sacristy window, I could easily see my own yard, which for some reason felt cool. But the problem is that worked both ways. And on more than one occasion, Father Lana or Father Sharabolo would yell at me from the window because the baseball I was bouncing off the side of the church was reverbing out and disturbing his mass. Oops.
The coolest part of being an altar boy was we had like backstage access. And not just when we were working the show. Holy Rosary Church was built in 1898. It's like a mini cathedral in design. Huge, expansive ceilings, large, incredibly painted stained glass, and it has two balconies, the top one containing an old, impressive organ with a wall of brass pipes. The sad thing was, no one ever used either of these upper levels, and the organ had been played for years. But above those levels, that's where the creepy and mysterious belfry was, the steeple. And me being me, well, this was just too fascinating to ignore, and it was alluring and it had adventure written all over it. Chris and I were an altar boy team. I had done masses with Scott and Howard and John and Gary a few times, but me and Chris became the lasting veterans of this original team I had signed up with. And the priests liked us, I mean, I mean in a good way. I mean, Thankfully, we never had any issues with any of the priests at Holy Rosary acting, you know, zippity what the zim zang or, you know, fanoki wanoki. Actually, they were all pretty cool guys. One of my favorites was Father Rodriguez. He was a real intellectual and he could chat about all sorts of topics. He and Father Pete, you know, the famous Father Pete who was an Elaine's regular and talked Mickey Rock away from suicide. Anyway, Father Pete and Father Rodriguez were going to be the tag team when I got married. On that day, Father Rod never showed up and we learned later that he was stuck overseas escorting a giraffe to an animal sanctuary. Like I said, he was a cool and interesting guy. So anyway, so me and Chris eventually got that best gig the Sunday at 12.30, and we covered it for like five years. He was also one of my adventure buds, and we were hanging in my yard one day. We had exploded our last firecracker and eaten enough crab apples and dug up enough bugs, and we were suddenly bored. And I looked up at the church towering over my yard. I couldn't see the steeple from where we were, but I knew it stood just behind the brick facade. We should go see the bell, I said. Chris's eyes widened. How are we going to get in? The church door is always unlocked. We nodded and took off. Now the front doors on 19 were usually open, and I could still recall one day, I was probably six or seven, I was walking past those same doors with my mother heading home from Sloan Supermarket. For whatever reason, the synapses in my little brain told me to go knock on the church door and run. After I rushed back to my mom, the door opened, and Geraldo Rivera stuck his head out. My mother recognized him instantly, and I knew my sister Debbie had a crush on him. And when I got back to my block, I spotted my sister sitting on the top step of the stoop of 447. I rushed to her and reported with great excitement, Geraldo Rivera is in the church, I saw him. And in typical teenager fashion, she rolled her eyes and said, yeah, so big deal. When me and Chris got to 119, I rushed up the stone steps and pulled the handle. Crap. I tried the other one. Naturally, they were locked. But this only meant the adventure would be way more interesting. I knew the way out of the rectory in the first floor residence. The problem was the rectory door would definitely be locked, but there was a bell, and a secretary would be working. I beckoned Chris on and I stepped up to the door, pushed the doorbell. After a second, it buzzed, and I pushed open the door just a bit and waited. I looked at Chris, who was confused. Then I pushed the door open, a crack, and peered in. The coast was clear. I crouched down, and Chris followed my lead. We entered the rectory hallway, and I silently closed the door behind us. Now, I had been in this place countless times, usually with my dad after Mass. I knew if we made our way forward, 
then to the left leaving another hall that led to a staircase. The secretary desk was down the hall through a glass door. We needed to be quiet and stay low. I heard a voice. Father Lana! We ducked into the small chapel and I listened. Muffled voices and footsteps. A man in black passed the entry of the chapel and then exited the front door. Great. Father would be out. We'd be clear. And we snuck back into the corridor, past the glass door, into the stairwell. One flight up, we exited into the hall outside the main dining area. It was a pretty elongated room with a bay window that looked out over my friend Joe's yard. As a kid, I always thought it looked like the room of some rich guy's mansion. The delicious smell of cooking food wafted to our nostrils. I scanned the space before me. It was clear. We needed to rush down the hall to the closed door. That led to the sacristy. We bolted down the hall, opened the door and peeked in. It was dead quiet. On tiptoes, we entered the backstage area of the church. It was dark. Another door led out to the church. We opened it, and the massive, silent interior of the church loomed. We stepped out and accidentally let the door slam. We froze as that bang echoed up and down and around the church like an angry ghost. But we were in. The staircases that led up to the balconies was through the church and to the right and left of the main entryway. Our sneaker steps were muffled little ghosts that flew around as we trotted. Through the swinging door, we beelined up the dusty staircase, rarely used. At the landing, I was tempted to step out onto the balcony, but was too excited to head up to the belfry. Up the next flight, we went. At the top was the door that led to the top balcony where the organ lived. I peered through the glass window. We'd have to check that out on the way back. That looks creepy, Chris said. He pointed to the metal steps that led up into the steeple. It wasn't just creepy, it was freaking scary. The steps floated up and out over a drop down through two staircases, and each step was no more than two metal rods with plenty of space between for a foot to slip. But they were made of metal, although they were close to 100 years old, and who knows, maybe the entire innards were rotted with rust and they would just crumble when we stepped onto it, setting us down, down, down to our bone-crushing deaths. Ah, who cares? We were Gen X. This is the kind of stuff we live for. Even at 11 and 12. Onto the steps we went. Up. Up into the opening where we had to pull ourselves up into the steeple. It was littered with dapples of dirty sunlight and pigeon poop and feathers. Another old ladder rose up yet to another level. Now was this floor solid? Would the entire thing collapse under our weight? Well, up we climbed. When my head poked into the next level, I saw it. The bell. The large, solid bell that what I would hear knelling every Sunday morning. Such a great sound. I stepped up into the conical room, and forgetting any fears, I tapped the bell on my knuckles. It didn't make a sound. Chris followed. Cool, Chris said. We looked around. The windows of the steeple were mostly painted, but one was partially open, and I looked out, and I could see slices of the yards way down below. We were up high. It was cool. It was definitely cool. Sometimes the devil made an appearance during the show and not backstage. As altar boys, we had these sets of bells you rang during the communion portion of the Mass. The priest would raise the hosts up to the heavens and then turn to the right and then turn to the left and return to the altar. The practice was to ring the bells to accent each time the host moved. Lift up, you ring. Right, you ring. Left, you ring. Now, I was a rookie. It was my first time at a big show. Like any endeavor, the first time could be nerve-wracking. You have a million thoughts. You try not to miss a cue. And the bell ringing was a big moment. It's like the solo for a guitar player or a monologue for a thespian. My fingers flexed. 
Father Sharabo took the wafer in his fingers. I grabbed the handle and lifted off the marble surface, careful not to make it tingle. I was ready. The hose lifted. I shake the bells, and the tintibulation flutters around like copper butterflies. The host goes right. I shake. Ring. Goes left. Ring. The priest lowers it to the altar. And I ring again. I blow it. I was zapped with a pair of sarcastic eyes from Father Chiravo, and I blushed. Now those same bells could be made into a really devious practical joke. There are times and places where you simply can't laugh. Serving Mass as an altar boy is definitely one of those. So hell, why not up the ante? The bells had little screw knobs that held the ringers in place. And every so often, when Beelzebub whispered in my ears, I would loosen the screws on Chris's bells, or vice versa. So when it came time to shake those babies, it would fall apart and rain metallic pieces noisily to the marble floor. All eyes would shoot our way, and the intense battle to fight the incredible urge to launch guffaws would commence. This would last for the rest of the mass. You guys had the devil in you today, Father Shravo joked, surprisingly not upset with us. I thought you were going to do pee-pee on the floor, referencing the exorcist. Actually, I thought that was pretty cool. <sighs> Uncontrollable laughter was bad enough, but when it happened during a special ceremony, on someone's special day, well, it becomes pure torture. Father Emmanuel was a new priest at Holy Rosary, and his English wasn't very good. But Chris and I were assigned a Saturday Mass, and when we arrived and saw the limos and the flowers, we realized it was a wedding. Now, oh, everyone's nerves were a bit edgy on their wedding day. But the mass going without a hitch is one of those things you just kind of count on. And all was going fine, until it came time to exchange vows. So let's say, for the sake of the story, the happy couple's names were John Berger and Mary Sunshine. Okay, now, set up the scene and action. Father would say, Mary, do you take Sunshine? <coughs> the best man rolled his eyes interrupted and pointed to the sheet that the good father was holding that had the names on him. You know, he had his own cue cards. Me and Chris were already vibrating with restrained guffaws. Alright, take two. John, do you take burger? <coughs> oh man, I couldn't help it. A little burst of laughter slipped from my lips and that sent Chris's body shaking. A glare from the best man made me swallow my mirth. For now. Let's try this again, father. Jim, do you take Elizabeth? <coughs> okay, me and Chris were now dying. Who the hell was Jim and Elizabeth? I let loose a loud burst of laugh, and Chris followed. We got an evil death glare from the best man, who I think's name was Jim, and the maid of honor was Elizabeth. And I tried my damnedest to get my laughing under control. I looked at my feet, and I didn't dare glance at Chris. I thought about sick puppies and mean and nasty nuns, anything to keep from laughing. Finally, Jim, the best man, grabbed the paper from the priest and pointed to the proper names. I felt really bad for the couple. I wonder if Mary and Sunshine are still married. Or, or, or is it John and Jim? As altar boys, we loved those special masses. There were certain holidays when the priest would dip the host in the wine. I mean, that was kind of cool as a kid. You get to have a little wine. So my friend Scott one day had a bottle of wine. And this triggered an idea for an adventure on a boring summer afternoon. Let's sneak into the church and steal some of the wafers. We could dip them in the wine. Well, since video games hadn't been invented yet, what was a kid to do? Go steal hosts and risk eternal damnation. So off we went, me, Scott, and Chris. Now we knew the doors would be open because my sister Laura and Jennifer were there practicing with the glee club. The door was open and we stealthily entered, carefully making sure not to slam it behind us. 
Chris peeked into the glass of the swinging doors and spotted the girls up near the altar on the right side. This was good. The entrance to the sacristy, where the treasure was kept, was on the left side. And we tiptoed to the left swinging door and opened it, just enough so we could crawl through. We would have to do it ninja style, behind the covers of pews, all the way to the door to the sacristy. So we were no longer three kids from a hunting team, we were CIA agents, spies for the cause. The tough part was getting to and through the door to the sacristy. We would have to run out in the open without any cover of pews, and we hoped the door didn't have squeaky hinges. In all reality, Laura and Jennifer could care less if we were there, but that wasn't the point. When you're a spy, you can't get busted. We rushed in a crouch to the door and pulled it open. Yeah, the hinges tried to give us away, but we were quick and we made it into the room. The lights were off, we knew exactly where the treasure was kept. And the thing is, we had this legal and eschatological loophole. I mean, they were not blessed, so, you know, after all, they were just flat, yeastless wafers that tasted like cardboard. I mean, our souls would be safe. Although we were breaking the Eighth Commandment, but we'd worry about that later. I opened the closet and there they were, giant tins of the wafers. And they came in two sizes. The little quarter-sized ones for the masses and the big jumbo ones for the mess. You know, the ones that the priest lifted high and to the left and to the right so I could screw up my bell cues. I popped the lid and took a stack. They got the big ones, I said, as if I had found a stash of M80s. I split them up with Scott and Chris. And footsteps echoed. We froze and then rushed into the opposite door that led to a staircase. We waited, listening. And then the door opened and there he was. Father Lana glaring at us. We meekly waved. Hi, Father. So this is another benefit of being on the inside, being an altar boy. He didn't yell. He didn't ask why we had giant hosts in our hand. He didn't even ask why we were sitting in the rectory staircase when no mass was happening for hours. He shrugged and said, oh, it's you guys. And he walked off. I swear that's what happened. Oh, wait, did I just break a commandment? So yeah, we could be devilish, us altar boys, but considering some of the guys on the avenue were planning truck hijackings and bank robberies, stealing a few unblessed waivers was not exactly a death sentence crime, or a sin punishable by fire and brimstone. We said a couple of Hail Marys went back to 118 and ate some dry and tasteless wafers, and planned our next sins on the stoops of Atlantis. The things that you might have done, only the good die young. So, I hope you enjoyed episode 60, The Mischievous Lives of Altar Boys. I want to thank you all for continuing to listen to this podcast, and please help spread the word, tell friends and family if they would, you know, people who think would enjoy these, this type of storytelling. And again, uh, I really uh, plead to uh, maybe have some of you write reviews if you've enjoyed this podcast regularly. Uh, you can go to the, through your app, whatever app you're using, and just write a review uh, of the podcast. It helps spread the word. It helps with the rankings and all that. It's just, it just helps in general. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed that and we will be back soon with episode 61. Until then, be good. Thanks for listening in to the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate it on whatever app you're using. And you could also leave a message at the Facebook page or contact me at stoopsmail at yahoo.com. Until next time. Mm-hmm.